and I'd never seen so many lesbians. Like I've never seen any lesbians and then I saw all the lesbians, it seemed, in that night. Hello, my name's Kay Anderson and you are listening to Lost Spaces, the podcast that mourns the death of queer nightlife. Every episode I talk to a different person about a venue from their past, the memories that they created there and the people that they used to know. So, you know already, probably, I hope you know, that I love me a story about someone who runs away to figure out who they are. And this week, we have a bit of a doozy, if I do say so myself. Naomi Mura, who is Sydney's only Lebanese lesbian ex-Jehovah's Witness comedian. And I'm not really sure what research she's done to verify that, so I'm just going to take her word for it, is this week's guest. And she first came to London in the late 90s when she was trying to reconcile the thoughts she was feeling about women folk with the teachings of her religion. And whilst she was in London, she got to explore Soho's Candy Bar, a lesbian bar that ran from 1996 till 2014 when it closed due to, surprise, surprise, rising rents. Boo, hiss. Anyway, we talk all about the magic of London, finding your bearings in a new city whilst jettisoning your old religion, which is all you ever knew, and the power of woolly jumpers. Hmm. Hmm. Let's get into it. As a Jehovah's Witness when I was a kid. And the Jehovah's Witness network is vast because they're kind of like made up of congregations that then kind of get clumped together in a sort of circuit of congregations and then in the district. And so you sort of started to know people, you know, your network was quite ah, large. How often did you have um, to hang out with them then? Oh, my God, so much. Well, you weren't really allowed friends outside of it. Oh, okay. Like, so you go to church three times a week then you would go preaching, then you would go socialising with the same people. So mm-hmm. you would work but then you weren't really allowed to be very good friends with the people that you work with. <laughs> but you could only be friends with. I know. It's a bit of a catch-22. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it really is. It's horrific. Um, yeah, they became your kind of everything. Um, and so just like... This isn't actually relevant really to this conversation, but I'm just interested. Mm. Is there like a dating website for Jehovah's Witnesses? I have no idea because you know what? I left just as the internet was kind of... (laughs) So you've never been like, oh, I wonder if there's a Jehovah, like equivalent of Grindr. I don't know. Maybe I could launch that. I think you should. um, (laughs) I would assume that door knocking is the best way to um, meet... <laughs> Maybe rather than sending a little, like, you know, can't you tap in some of these um, apps? Oh, you? yes. So maybe the app could be called Knocker. <laughs> yes. Okay, oh, writing this down. Writing uh, yeah, down, I think this is genius. Yeah. This is genius. <laughs> well, they wouldn't have a gay app because they don't have gay people. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I'm I'm probably compromising my morals a bit too much trying to make money off of the Jehovah's Witness community. But, you know. <laughs> Perfect. A buck's a buck. <laughs> okay, well, sorry, I, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yep, so no you mm. were in the church. Yes. And leaving the church. Yes. Because I know, well, sorry, I'm just. And I'm no, just jumped to the end. I know you have left. <laughs> I, have, I have left. This is like watching well, the Titanic. You know how it ends, but still, maybe you want to hear how it ends. So what... Okay, the first question I have then is yes. the moment that you were like, oh, yeah, nah, I'm out. Well, that's interesting because I... I mean, weirdly, it came a little bit after I, physic- I, I actually left. So mm-hmm. I had felt those feelings of being attracted to women, but I didn't know exactly what was going on. I thought, because I'd never known a gay person, it's not uncommon, I suppose, in a kind of conservative religious environment. So I'd never known it was possible for me to be a woman and be attracted to women. I actually didn't even know of that concept. Mm -hmm. So what it led me to think is perhaps I was trans because I thought maybe I was a man. And Ah. that would explain why I was attracted to women. Mm -hmm. I'm not as it turned out but at that moment that's what I thought it was and so I felt I had this decision where either I was going to well either I had to continue with the religion and be celibate because the way Mm -hmm. the Jehovah's Witnesses talk about it is you can be gay but you just can't act on it Mm -hmm. like you'd be like a non-practicing gay person is their kind of way of looking at it and I just love practicing to be honest okay so that was a Mm. bit of a hard one to yeah what would you do with your fingers otherwise? I know. Well, type. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, I just shouldn't have taken it there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, where else could you take it? Um, so <laughs> anyway, it was either I stayed in and then stayed single or I left and died at Armageddon. That was what I believed. So we mm. believed Armageddon was going to come any day now. And so if I did anything wrong, I would die at Armageddon. So I thought about that and then I decided I'd stay celibate. And I'm so ashamed of this, but I'll tell you. Um, <laughs> Wait, I'm so ashamed. Get a seat. I'm going to tell you this story. <laughs> I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. Some people manage to live with that secret, you know what I mean, that mm. they have these feelings but they'll continue to be celibate um, for many years, right, and they, they come out. Um, I made it to 21 and I was like, this is unbearable. I can't bear it. I, I have to just do something. And I, I didn't actually know what to do because I thought I knew I was going to die one way or another. So I, this is what I thought. I could just like mm. kill myself immediately. Or uh. if I didn't want to do that, what I could do is just leave and I'd get killed at Armageddon anyway. So it was kind yeah. of like maybe I should give that a go before I rush to, you know, to do it to myself. So I thought. As I was having these feelings, I actually reached out to, uh, I got two brothers and one sister. One sister was in and my two brothers had left the religion and I reached out to one of them and explained how I was feeling. He was, um, he and my other brother and their partners had just moved to London, right, to do like mm-hmm. a stint in, in Europe. And um, I emailed him and said, this is how I'm feeling and I don't know if I can do it. And he said, why don't you come to London? Why don't I send you some money and get a ticket and come to London and you don't have to decide anything and you don't have to do anything and you just have some space and you can think about what you want to do. Which is where our story begins. But before we get into that, I have some follow-up questions. So first of all, did you actually like write what you were thinking in an email? Yeah. 
How terrifying was it to hit sand? I d- it was awful. It was awful. But then I was so depressed when I wrote it. So I was so depressed. I wasn't leaving the house. I wasn't showering. I was proper, you mm-hmm. know, in that sort of slump that you can kind of get in. And I really thought I just don't want to live anymore. I just didn't think life was worth it. So in a sense, I had in my mind not that much to lose. Um I had told my sister who was in the religion that I mm-hmm. had these feelings towards women and she was kind of very much trying to encourage me to get some counselling, which, you know, is kind of, I don't want to say conversion therapy, but along those okay. lines where yeah, yeah. to try and redirect me to Stamp um, out of you. Mm-hmm. a different path. So I had her saying that and then I reached out to my brother because I wanted to, you know, get a different perspective. And what I thought was if I was trans, I would have to undergo all these, yeah. you know, things. And I thought, and then he was very much, look, look, if that is what it is, then that's fine. You just need to get some headspace, come over and think about it and we'll look into it. And, you know, he never said anything was off the table or outrageous. He was incredibly supportive. He Aww. he did a lot. I mean, they, they all did a lot. But my brother's initial reaction was to pick up the phone and say, look, you're not alone in this and um, you just need some time and some space. I know. And so literally transferred money, I booked tickets and eight weeks later I was flying over to London. And so the other question I have Mm. is about you thinking that you may be trans. Yeah. So you said that you didn't even realise that lesbianism was an option or that was was a thing. Yeah. But how did you know that trans... Was Well, so I had a very authoritarian father, kind of angry, dominating mm-hmm. figure in our lives. And my mum, however, was very different to that, very kind of submissive and soft. Now, I used to watch her sometimes get physically sick, like have a physical illness. And this would give her some reprieve from my father and the way he was. When she was sick, like he would look after her. Mm-hmm. So it kind of mixed up the energy and if she ever wanted a, a bit of a break, she would get physically ill and that would kind of change the dynamic. I'm saying this because what I was looking for was an illness to explain how I was feeling. And at that time, uh. obviously I, I don't think that now, but at that time you could look up, um, I could Google those sort of things and it would come up as a, a physical, I'll say illness, but obviously that's not yeah. what I think of it now. But it was, you know, it was medicalized, if you like. I don't know the right term. but And in looking at that, I felt like if I said that to my mum, you know, there's something wrong with me, uh, I felt probably more justified than just saying this yeah. is how I feel. I don't know. that I hadn't really, haven't really thought that through properly as I'm saying it to you, but I think that is it. I just didn't feel that she would accept I'm just attracted to women, whereas if I came to her with there's this, yeah, thing. and then backing it up with this evidence that you found online that says Correct. that it's this condition. Yeah, okay, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I, I felt like uh, there would be more sympathy for it than mm-hmm. um, anyway, it was a stupid idea because <laughs> it's not how it turned out at all. Um, I think it was just searching for an answer which was much more easily explained mm-hmm. than that. And so your brother threw you this lifeline and mm-hmm. said come here, have a bit of time away, have a yeah. bit of a fresh scenery in order to just get a different perspective. Yep. And you got on a plane, you came yep. to London. What were your first impressions of London? Oh, um, 
I mean, I was terrified and I think I went into a state of trying to fit in where I felt like an alien. You know when you watch those films of just like someone who's lived in a a tribe somewhere and then they're dropped into New York City, one of those stupidly yeah, yeah. inappropriate films. I honestly felt that. I was like, this is a lot to take in because I wasn't just living in Sydney, having a normal life, moving to London, which is a big enough adjustment. I was mm. living in Sydney as a very sheltered um, Jehovah's Witness woman, you know. I had no idea of the world. I, had, I wasn't going to bars and clubs. I'd, I'd never drank to excess. Like I never mm-hmm. got drunk. I was very naive, um, very trusting, like so trusting. So I wasn't really, on one hand, I think I was scared and a little bit overwhelmed. And on the other hand, I was so naive. I didn't know that some things were dangerous not to trust everyone because I was quite trusting. So I was kind of naively in that situation where it probably now on reflection I think, oh, why did you do that? You know, <laughs> That's so stupid. So as I was meeting people, I would just totally trust them. I'd go to their house. Like I just wouldn't. These are things I would do that I would think were normal in my Jehovah's Witness world. Ah. And I was just applying them out in the big bad world. And I don't know if I had very good intuition well I must have had something going on because nothing terrible ever happened to me so I was kind of quite lucky I met good people and nothing awful happened it just was luck though oh that's interesting so how long had your brother been out of the religion at this point and did he say to you by the way don't just go randomly knocking on people's doors (laughs) (laughs) um well both of them had been out for a number of years my eldest brother for a lot of years um you know, 10, 15 years. Uh, uh-huh. But my other brother maybe for seven years, something like that. So they'd both been out for a period of time. I think on reflection it was amusing to them. Like I'd tell them stories of what would happen in my day and they'd be like, you what? <laughs> I don't know, just naive, like I'll talk to anyone, chat, you know, because that's what you were encouraged to do. Yeah. Um, I've never been so cold in my life than when I was in um, in the UK and I remember I, I'd bought gloves for the first time, like I'd never owned gloves or a scarf. <laughs> Did, do you know what I mean? Like I was brought up in Sydney I'd, I'd, or a coat. So I was wearing a coat, a scarf and gloves and then I was reading a book, a physical book on a bus and it was so cold on this bus and there was an old lady sitting next to me and I'd been trying to read my book but I had these quite furry gloves on and I was struggling to turn the pages and so I asked her to turn the page for me and she did it. She didn't give me a second thought <laughs> she, and we carried on. So she would just turn the page and then I would, I would carry on. Anyway, when I got home to tell my brothers this story, they were like, you what? Like that is, I mean, you can't do that. And firstly, then they were like, don't talk to anyone on public transport. It's a thing. I was like, okay, don't talk to anyone on public transport. (laughs) I didn't know. Um, It was such an adjustment. Um, And the other thing is I had to somehow meet, you know, meet new people, make community, which I Mm -hmm. think is is hard. And I didn't go to any church meeting. So I was meant to. I was going to. I thought that was, you know. Ah. And then, but I wanted a break from it. Yeah. So I guess that's kind of what I'm asking is like when you boarded that plane 
did that mammoth flight and then landed in London, were you like, yeah, right, I'm taking control of my destiny, I'm going to be a brand new person? Or mm. were you like, I have no fucking clue what I'm doing, yep. I'm just going to bumble along? Yep, that was that. I firstly didn't think I was going to leave. I thought I would uh-huh. go to church and carry on, but in London. I Secondly, I thought I would return home. It was like a two-year working holiday visa. I thought I would be home after one year or less, mm-hmm. didn't think I'd mm-hmm. last the two years. I thought I'd see all my friends and family again. I mean, they didn't. Like my farewell and, you know, seeing people off at the airport was like a funeral. Everyone was absolutely oh, wow. distraught because I think they knew I wasn't going to come back more than I did. How many people were there seeing well, you away? Sorry, I'm just... <laughs> no, that's right. It was... It was fo- <laughs> seeing you away? <laughs> Maybe they would just want to make sure I was getting on the plane. I don't know. But uh, I had like four of my good friends and, you know, my parents and my sister. So they were the people that I think knew me best and I think they were trying to make sure, you know, I felt Mm. loved and not rejected by them and um, that's often what they do. I mean, within the religion, if, if they sense that you're getting some doubts, that you're you're losing a bit of faith. They just gather around and, and it's it's called love bomb. You know, they just, yeah, you know, yeah. we love it, all that stuff so that you're not tempted away. So I think yeah. in part that's what was happening and, you know, I, I didn't think I was going to go away but literally I landed and, you know, I didn't want to go to any meetings. I wanted some time away to think about what I was going to do and my brother and his girlfriend took me out one night, <laughs> took me out one night to the candy bar which was um, at that point, you know, a lesbian bar in Soho, which was mind-boggling to me. Like I went in like a thick jumper and jeans. I don't know what I was thinking. (laughs) Uh, Like just a very modest clothes, uh, let's just say. And I'd never seen so many lesbians. Like I've never seen any lesbians. And then I saw all the lesbians, it seemed, in that night. Um... Yeah, it was intense. I, I didn't feel comfortable. <laughs> I don't know if you're meant to feel comfortable the first time you go to a gay bar, do you? Well, and also when your brother is there. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's very free and yeah, very comfortable. Oh, I know, but like him. even, you know, you don't kind of want to get turned on. And I mean, not, I not that I'm saying you like walked in the door and we're like, wow, but you, know, you don't want to act on anything that's potentially sexual in front of your brother, do you? Maybe some people do. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what your family's like, so I don't want to make any judgments. But um, no. I was so far away from feeling anywhere near confident. I was still thinking I wasn't a lesbian. So mm-hmm. I think he was just like, why don't you just come? Come with us. You know, we're going to oh, hang so out. Oh, so sweet. It is very sweet. And so did they say... BT-dubs were going to a lesbian bar or where they're just yeah. like, hey, let's go into Soho. Why not? Let's go. Oh, what's this bar? I mean, I do like sweets. And so <laughs> going somewhere called the candy bar might have appealed, but they didn't do it surreptitiously. I knew ah. where I was going. And so did they tell you like that day? Like what? Like how long did you have to mentally prepare? I don't remember. I actually mm-hmm. don't remember if I was preparing that much for it I I think I would have overthought it a little bit so I don't think it must have been 
a lot of notice. And I think it was very yeah. much, let's just go for a drink. Like we we would go out anyway, like we would go to a bar. <laughs> um, put put on your best of... layers of sweaters and jumpers. Yeah. And <laughs> if you've out. got any ski wear, that's perfect. <laughs> that's going to fit in very well with this place. So, um, yeah, I guess I just, um, I mean, I remember it, it had three floors. It had the main bar is what you walked into and so there was the kind of main bar and some seating. And then upstairs, I mean, of course, there was a pool table, very necessary. <laughs> I liked pool so that was a good in. So I remember going up there and playing pool. And then downstairs in the basement was like the club bit where there was a DJ mm-hmm. booth and stuff. So it was kind of smallish but it had those three different environments. And, yeah, we just got into it I suppose. you know. And also remember I wasn't... I didn't really know how to drink a lot or what my drinking capacity was, so I was just kind of navigating my way through that. And I just saw a lot of lesbians and I didn't see myself there. It's so weird. On the first time I thought, thank you so much for taking me, that's really kind of you. We met some people on the night, it was a gay guy and a lesbian and they were really best friends and we hung out with them and we hit it off playing pool and after going to the candy bar we went on to heaven um, mm-hmm. not not actual heaven, although what a way to end that story. I mean, it just Armageddon the biblical... came, that's it. <laughs> hey, that that's a good point actually. When I was in there, because I still believed, it crossed my mind that this would be typical, that Armageddon would come and then I would be found in a lesbian bar ah. and that would be the end. So every time I entered a premises that I, I knew I shouldn't be in, I just thought, oh, Armageddon going to come and I'm going to be here. So mad. Had that changed the way you approached your evening or was it just like a fleeting thought and then you were like, oh, who cares? I have to push through, yeah. (laughs) I think I was a bit reserved, like more reserved than I would be now Mm -hmm. Um, and just taking it all in. I was curious. I don't think I was heavily judgy of others. I was judgy of myself, I think. I just thought something bad was going to happen to me because they tell you really um, as you move away from those beliefs Mm -hmm. that something bad's going to happen. Like the world's a dangerous place. So I was out in the world thinking this is bad, like uh, something bad's going to happen to me. So I was a bit scared in that kind of regard. And also, you know, lesbians are in that environment. Like it was pretty heavy, sort of intense (laughs) environment. Do you know what I mean? Well, just let's unpack that a little (laughs) bit more. What do you mean? Well, I don't know because there's a lot of like full-on chasing that kind of goes on and that's I know you're like and that is the whole point (laughs) but you know to walk into that fresh it's kind of intimidating I think well and you thought everyone was like oh I love how huge jumper I'm gonna (laughs) (laughs) sorry I don't know why I'm like picking on you today (laughs) yes I think they liked a a thick knit shut up that is exactly uh, you should have seen the cue uh, no, I mean, it wasn't for me, obviously. It was just that environment just felt like everyone was looking at you as you walked in. Yeah, sizing you up. Yeah. Was it not like that for you or were you straight away like, I found my people? No, d- yeah, definitely wasn't like that for me. Right. I mean, the way that you're talking about it makes me think that it was a sexual energy. And I didn't, yes. I don't think I felt that necessarily. I think I felt like, oh, you're not good enough. Oh. More than anything else. Yeah, right. Because of how everyone was looking. Yeah, yeah. Or like looking and then making a snap judgment not to continue looking. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is intense. No, no, no. But like, you yeah, know, I, you, I get it. 
but you know when you're in those environments mm. where everyone's really like, I'm cooler than you. Yes. And yeah, it's just exhausting more than anything else. So yeah. I think that's probably my overriding memory of initially going to spaces. I think that's probably part of it, right? Like where you feel completely out of place. Oh, I felt out of place, that's for sure. And I, th- mm. I felt like if you looked at me, you knew that I shouldn't be there. I didn't belong. <gasps> yeah, yeah, but, yeah. You know, and you know what the really interesting thing is? Mm. Everyone thinks that. It's so funny. And if we all were just like, oh, I feel a bit funny, and yeah. everyone would go like, oh, me too, and then we'd all be fine. Well, but we, uh, we all just like, oh, it's a horror. <laughs> like, I know some people just love their early 20s and, like, that was the prime of their life and they had a fantastic time. I, I have not enjoyed life more than since I turned 40 because that care factor for mm. where do I fit in this room as I walk into it is so much less than it was and I don't have those same thoughts um Mm. yeah I mean I've got some and there are some environments that might kick it off in me more than others but um I'm nowhere near I could walk into a bar now even as an old lady (laughs) and feel like oh well whatever you know what I mean whatever that's I'm I'm, this is fun like I'm gonna have a nice time not let it get to me in the same uh, way. But do, but do you think that is age or do you think that's because you found people and you feel confident in the relationships you have with them? Yeah, probably you're right. I mean, there's probably finding people and it's probably connecting in a way and appreciating those connections uh, more as time has gone on. So maybe age is part of it but only because I've had more time to get to know myself mm-hmm. and other people and, yeah, like you say, be, you know, appreciated for who you are, not what you look like or your woolen jumper. You know, mm. I just want to be more than a woolly jumper, <laughs> do you know? That's all. You're never going to be more than a woolly jumper to me, <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> oh god it's humiliating it's humiliating uh it's funny yeah i think it's really liberating to realize how like stupid everyone else is because i think <laughs> okay. i always just thought everyone else had it all figured out and yes. like now knowing that no one does no and that everyone is riddled with the same insecurity well maybe yeah. not the same insecurities but enough insecurities to topple you over it's just like oh okay well that's all right. That's your then. issue. It's not my yeah. issue. Yeah. That's it. You can't be expected to carry around everybody's issues. Um, yeah. Or, or your own, oh, like yeah. some of them. <laughs> yeah, if I carried my own and broke my back. Um, but, yeah, I think I used so, to think that. I used to think. And, and I have this perfectionist tendency where mm. I want to appear as though I've got, I know things and that I understand things and I know what's going on and I, you're not going to fool me. And now I'm like, yeah. oh, well, maybe you will. I love that. I, I read a book about certainty because that's one of the mm-hmm. things about leaving a, a religion like Jehovah's Witnesses, which is you are told that you have the truth and that you are absolutely yeah. certain of your position. And there's not anything that someone's going to tell you that will shake it because you've, mm-hmm. you are so certain. And I think we like that certainty. It's nice to think that you've know stuff and that you're not just standing on wobbly uh, foundations of knowledge you know like and so one of the hardest things I think about moving away from a religion is going oh everything I thought was absolutely certain is no longer like all of it Mm -hmm. it's like oh god so where do you start I thought god created earth and humans Mm -hmm. now oh no evolution turned out is the is the right path you know I thought Armageddon was coming oh no Armageddon's not coming so what does that mean Armageddon's not coming 
there is no God is how where I've ended up on it. I know other people might end somewhere different. Yeah. But that means this is it. Like I'm 20-something years into this one life that I'm going to have and if I don't figure out what I'm going to do with it, what's my plan? This is it. I've got to now think, what do I want to do? You know, that sort of wake up of like you're wasting time. What have you done? You've wasted so much of your life so far mm. and time to crack on and do something with your life is it, it builds up a sense of urgency. And what I learned in having completely my beliefs dismantled is that certainty is very fickle. I, I feel more yeah. comfortable with uncertainty. So now if I believe something, if I think something and then I get some other information or there's more, you know, I have a conversation with someone and, and I think about what they're saying, I'll change my mind. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Whereas before I used to think, mm. oh, we don't like yeah. when people change their mind or, you know, we think we are it's not allowed to change our or... Yes, yeah. yeah Whereas yeah, I think it's a yeah. sign of strength now. It's good. Mm. I love talking to people with a very, very different perspective and suddenly you're like, oh, I didn't think of that. You know, I, I just hadn't thought that way at all. Mm. And so it makes me think, yeah. So I'm going to ask a question about the religion mm. and don't want to sound... Oh, I'm just going to ask. Sorry, ask I'm it. just doing a big preamble. No, go for it. So all of these things that you said that you were certain of and that you were thinking that, yes, there is a God, yes, the, the end of the world's coming and I'm going to be fine, fuck mm. everyone else. But did you, like, actually believe that? I actually believed it. And so there was no part of you that was like... Mm-hmm. No. I mean, I'm, oh. I know other people are different. But, look, I mean, I was taught this stuff not by... A church. I was taught this stuff by my parents. My parents were telling me this is what was happening. They were living in a way as if I I like to compare it to. um, Did you believe in Santa? I don't know. I have older siblings. They told you everything was ruined for me (laughs) like quite early. (laughs) Okay. God damn it. I'm sorry about your life, all right? Um, but a lot of people believed in Santa. It's the only equivalent where you realise one day that Santa's not real and that means your whole life your parents have told you an untruth. Yeah. And they yeah. may have done it for your own good and I'm not saying it's a horrible thing yeah, but it's an example of where you believe something and then you go, oh, oh, no, that, that's not true. And on reflection I saw wrapped presents and I saw this, this, this. But at the time I kind of believed yeah. it and maybe I wanted to believe it because, you know, I wasn't loving life in the religion. So the idea that this life was going to end and I was going to have another life which was going to be so much better than this one is very appealing. Mm-hmm. And actually I think that's why some people get suckered into religions because they don't have a great life right now. Surely this yeah. life in the way where I've been born and, you know, in this family isn't, can't be it because that would be really depressing. Yeah. So I think, I think I wanted to believe it. However, saying that, as I got older, I befriended people who were not Jehovah's Witnesses and it would just occur to me that they were going to die at this Armageddon that I was so looking forward to, you know, because that would mean that this world was going to yeah. end. And I struggled with that. I struggled with the human aspect of it. Every time I'd think, oh, these people are going to die and these people are going to die and I think they're good people and I couldn't make sense of that. But they had answers for anything that you chucked at them. They had some bullshit answer too which I had to absorb. Mm. I don't know. It's weird what you will believe if it's surrounding you, you know. 
family all believed it. All my friends believed it. I go to the church, they all believed it. Yeah, and I live in a country that voted for Brexit, so I can see how it can happen, I guess. Oh, an echo chamber is an amazing place to be. It's just, you know, you never get other people's perspectives. You never really open your mind long enough to listen to anyone else. Yeah, and the group starts policing the individuals within that group, right? Absolutely. So they start doing that work for you. Absolutely. Well, you're told that you are saving them because if they are making thoughts or, you know, having doubts and going somewhere else, that, that they will die at Armageddon. So if you want to save them, you better tell us so we can bring them back into the fold. So you're not thinking you're dobbing them in like some kind of, you know, policeman. You're thinking you're yeah. shepherding them back into the fold. So otherwise they'll get eaten. Not literally. Sometimes literally, but now we're going off. Yeah, now we're going off. How do we tie this back into lesbianism? Mm. Oh, um, well, (laughs) (laughs) I became very certain that I was a lesbian. Does that help? (laughs) I did become certain. Uh, And all the lesbians were gathering around and there were rituals and, yeah. Okay, no, yeah, sorry. I didn't know you knew about the rituals. (laughs) I wasn't going to talk about it. It's secret, but all right. Well, I've been doing this show for many, many years. years. You know, yes. Some of those people let it slip. <laughs> it's leaked, as they say. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah, I mean, that whole community thing is a theme for me because um, what I wanted immediately in getting into London was a, a community. I was used to being mm. part of a group. It was weird for me to be on my own and think of myself as an individual. Does that make any sense? And and then so does that mean you made some bad decisions and threw yourself into <laughs> friend groups or threw yourself into things just because you wanted that community aspect? It wasn't too bad. I had the safety, I think, of my brothers and I was socialising with them as well as making new, um, I suppose, lesbian community friendships. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I did go to the candy bar. That was kind of my first adventure and then when I got home I suppose I went online and I joined you know those now this was late 90s you ready for this gay.com you were there yeah gay.com I was in the lesbian chat rooms and I started to get really into that like there'd be a group of us um, of an evening after work that would come in and you know just it was very platonic actually yeah. And it was just a group of people, how was your day, that sort of thing. And that worked better for me because I felt a less intimidated by it. No one was judging your jumper. Yes. Yeah. I could do it in my <laughs> jumper in my home. There were no webcams. Do you remember that? So like I just oh, had to yeah. send a photo periodically if people were like, hey, what do you actually look like? But it was all very platonic and innocent. And then one day we decided the group of people to <gasps> do a meet do you know what I mean? Do you remember those? I, I mean, no, I've not done that. But like, like, a, like a meetup, yeah. A meetup, yeah. So we've been yeah. chatting online with, under our pseudonyms or whatever, and now we were going to all meet in the candy bar <laughs> in Aww. London. I know. And there were people coming from different parts of the UK, and in the lead up to that, there was someone who I was chatting to a bit more than others, like in private, and DMCR. and we decided to meet up before meeting everybody else, so we didn't walk in <sighs> on our own. And that happened to be um, my first girlfriend. So there you go. That was pretty Aww. early, you know, early stages uh, relationship. Yeah. Okay, wait. So let's go back first before I ask follow-up questions about your first mm. girlfriend. So you'd said that when you first went to the candy bar with your brother and his girlfriend. Yes, with my jumper. <laughs> with your jumper. You were still like, yeah, yeah not really no. sure if I am yeah. a lesbian. 
Yeah. At what point were you like, oh, yep, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, defo? Um, really not that long after. Okay. So on the night bus home. <laughs> no, no. It was, I think, the second <laughs> visit. It was even the second time. I was like, oh, okay. And, oh, and in- <laughs> second visit. I'm not sure. Can we go back? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> oh my god, it's so hopeless. I mean, I didn't fight it for long. So that's that's the lesson. I just jumped right in after that. It's like when the water's cold and you're like, oh no, can't get in. And then someone says, you got to just jump in, and then it'll be all right. And then so I did that. I did that. And, and so in going the second time, you were less overwhelmed. You were more familiar with the space, let's say, and yep. then you were like able to notice things that you weren't able to notice the first time. Yeah, like even towards the end of that night, as we were getting to know these people that we just met that night. I mean, I'm <laughs> still friends with them, which is Aww. amazing. Like amazing. But we, as I was getting to know them, I was like, oh, you're you're kind of normal. Like I can get to yeah. know you and I can have a laugh, and that's okay. You you don't scare me in the way that. Yeah, I wasn't intimidated by it. And nothing ever, you know, it was always a very platonic friendship. So, um, so yeah, I think after that it felt a bit easier to kind of break into that scene a little bit. But in typical fashion I went straight into that relationship. So I did, have never really done the playing of the field, never got into, yeah. you know, always then been in a relationship and in friendship groups we would go out and stuff after that. Yeah. Well, and then so that's what I was going to ask about mm. that first girlfriend. So what should we call her first of all? Um, Girl one? Yes. <laughs> Let's. Sorry, I saw the look of panic on your face. Yes. Like, oh, I can't give her a real name, but I can't think of another name quickly enough. Anyway, so oh, no. girl Let's, one. Yes, good, the, uh, This, going back to what I was saying before, mm. were you, oh, I'm going to throw myself into this because this is a replacement for the religion that I've just left. Not consciously. Sorry, I'm diagnosing no. you. Sorry. No, 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 you've hit the nail on the head, right? <laughs> you've, you've hit the nail on the head immediately. But I never did that consciously. I had no idea what was happening at the time. I just suddenly felt very vulnerable and out in the world and like all my safety nets, other than my brothers, I mean they were definitely there, but that comfort of like being safe, I didn't feel. I just felt I was living from paycheck to paycheck. I was living in like a room in in their house. Like there was no way I could Mm -hmm. afford to be on my own. So I was like, oh, you know, this is like a scary situation in a way, especially when I knew that if I was a lesbian I could never go home. Mm. There was just no way. So I knew I wasn't going to be welcome. And also now I have no education because Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe in further education because they believe the world's ending. What's the point? Right? Ah. So I'd left school at 16. So I was like, how am I going to make this work? Like how am I going to get work? And now if I have to live (laughs) until Armageddon comes, like I have to afford to live and who's going to employ me and all that sort of weird stuff. So that was all kind of going on. And I think subconsciously I just wanted to be with someone where I felt safe. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's what drove me. (laughs) I mean, I don't know why Mm. I hooked up with someone so quickly. I think it was just... You know, we, we made a connection. We could chat for a really long time. It was easy to, to talk. You know, I didn't. Bit, and so what happened with that relationship then? Oh, my God. I'm going to shorten it for you and we're going to move. I think, oh, my God, was probably <laughs> enough, really. <laughs> well, it lasted 11 years, 11 years. <gasps> oh, wow. We had a civil partnership and a child. And <gasps> that's so how long it lasted. kind of all right then. It went kind of all right, yeah. And that, but that was your first one. Yeah, I know, I know. Oh, and and shit. for that reason, for that reason, you know, I was probably not in 
you know, the best space to be truly myself. Yeah. I think I was very yeah. much just that woman that's come out of a religion and I didn't know who I was, so I didn't know how to bring that into a relationship particularly well. And I probably didn't match myself up with the right person for who it turned out I was. Um, so we probably yeah. weren't the right match. But for many years we were together and happy and, you know, it sort of was, you know, my first big relationship. On that first time I was going out to meet wow. with people I'd been chatting to on the internet by myself because I wasn't going with my brothers. <laughs> He'd stop wow. coming with me to lesbian bars by then. <laughs> <laughs> but so I'm not going to get any stories of raucous nights out at the candy bar then. Oh, there were raucous nights. There were. Um, <laughs> but not raucous in the way that I suspect you're asking. <laughs> I, I didn't turn up one night with a woolen jumper on and stand to a queue of women. No, that didn't happen. Beckoning them to your shores. I know. That's, so that's interesting. So how did that all work then, given that you got into that relationship and then presumably at the end of the two years you had to make a decision about going back to Australia or not? That's exactly right. So at the end of two years, at that time the way like immigration laws were, we wanted to stay together, the way immigration laws were, um, we had to be living together for two years before uh, being able to make mm-hmm. an application. So we needed, I guess, another year. Um, to add to our one year because, of course, of course we of met course. in December. I don't even when, need to ask, yeah. <laughs> when do you think we moved in together? February, um, yes. Oh, oh, that's all right. Is it? That's all right. Two yeah. and a half months, I don't know. I don't think it's all right. Anyway. Well, um, it's probably not all right, but, like, in comparison to others, you're true. like, well, you know. All right. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks a lot. I suppose you got it all out um, with the woolly jumper and now you're going easy on me. Um, So what we decided is that she would apply for a working holiday for Australia and we just came and lived Mm -hmm. here for a year. And that was a big time for me because that was me returning home for the first time. And so I had to face the music. So, I mean, I'd very much like I had told my mum or I told my sister that I'd met someone and this is what I'm doing. I mean, not literally, obviously, we hadn't got into the ins and outs. but (laughs) (laughs) And then she told my mother, my mum spent the whole time that I was in England very upset. She thought, you know, every time I spoke to her, she was was upset and crying. I think she felt she had four children and now this was the third one who was going to die at Armageddon. And, you know, and I used to think, I used to get frustrated and I'd be like, that's not even true, mum, like that's not even going to happen. And she... There's no point telling people that actually believe that, you know, what they believe in isn't quite right. So, yeah, that was really hard. And then when I came back, I had to try and think of like, like I wrote to my, the four friends that came to the airport to say, look, I'm coming back. And we were still in contact over the phone and, you know, loosely while I was away. Mm. But I, I wrote to them in the email, look, this is the thing, you know, I've met someone and, you know, it's a woman and... I'm really happy. I don't know if that helps because I was so not happy when I left, but I'm, you know, I feel feel keen to live now and all this stuff. And so they did the right thing as far as their religion's concerned because Jehovah's Witnesses do the shunning thing. So if you leave, they cut Mm -hmm. you off from the organisation. Not the organisation, from the people. Who cares about the organisation? So they stop talking to you. They literally don't say hello. And so that's, you know, that was what I knew I would have to face about coming back home. And that was hard. Look, that was hard. It was so much easier to try and create a new community and get on with my life when I was in London and yeah. everybody else was here because I had to do it anyway. Yeah. Like, it didn't matter. Whereas coming home, being in the same kind of city, in the same environment, not being able to talk to 
my whole network of people here, including family, it was, yeah, that was really mm-hmm. when it was a bit hard. And so I did see my mum. My mum has never stopped talking to me like she's and to both my brothers she's never shunned us in the way she's supposed to but my dad did so my dad had stopped talking to both my brothers before before I left so I kind of knew to face the music with him so when I came back I wanted to tell him like to his face what had happened and what had happened (laughs) like an accident anyway um (laughs) I wanted to talk to him about this freak accident where I tripped over and fell onto a lesbian and um he he didn't immediately kick off like he did with my brothers. He'd had a bit of a big argument, you know, there's a big drama, you, you know, you're no longer my son, that sort of thing. With me, yeah. he was very gradual with his shunning. So he's kind of fine. I mean, he told me what he thought about it, you know, which was unnatural and all the stuff, but yeah. he kept it very level. I left that day and I thought, oh, this has gone well, but progressively over the next few visits he went from short to silent. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it was weird. I think he just found it a bit harder to do it because I'm the youngest daughter by a long shot, so I think he found it a little bit okay. harder to be such an arsehole. But it's almost worse, isn't it? Because at least you know where That's, you stand when someone's thank like, you. you're no longer my daughter. That's how I felt. Like, I okay. felt like I didn't yeah. have closure or an opportunity to defend myself because I thought that conversation had gone well. Like I'd said, yeah. you know, I know how you feel and I appreciate that and I respect that, but this is my life. It's my decision. This is what it was. And, you know, I was angry in a way at the time and I wanted to fight about it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. I was I was starting to feel that like sense of pride and uh, pride's not the right word because it took me ages to feel pride. I think it was yeah. more acceptance. Indignation. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Righteous indignation, yes. <laughs> I was just starting to accept myself and I wanted to be accepted. Yeah. And they didn't have to love it, but I just wanted them to accept it. Yeah, that it's legitimate. Yeah. 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 But, of course, I knew they weren't able to. They're just not able to. So we did the year living here and then we went back and applied for a visa for the UK and then I went back and lived there for another eight years after that. Ah, okay. So it was nice. I had that community in London and I could go back to that because that then felt like home. So girl one who was Mm. your, oh, my God, I can't believe, I can't believe you didn't go and, like, sow your wild oats. Sow my seed, my my oats, yeah. Well, I ended up with porridge, just a lot of oats in one (laughs) bowl. Oh, that's how lesbian sex works. That's okay, right. so so you kind of just were like, "Yep, you you'll do. Let's settle down. Let's go." Mm. Yeah. And then at the end of that eleven years, mm. like, what happened? Oh, I put a great big bomb under it. I was not very good. Oh. And the thing is, I lacked emotional maturity to be graceful in anything. You know, I, mm. in a way, I think the way I exited Australia and you know discovered I was gay was a similar thing. A lot of people didn't know. I I didn't have a long lead time. It was just like, bang, it's done, it's decided and I'm running away. Uh. So that's the the lack of maturity thing that I I think, you know, I escaped it. I wasn't happy and it took me ages to realise I wasn't happy. It took me ages like I did in the religion. I just tried and tried and tried and I was like, actually, I'm just not not Mm. happy. But is it is that a lack of maturity or is that just that you're just taking a long time to process things and not externalising any of those thoughts? Maybe that is the same. I, hmm. um, I think I do internalise it 
Um, because I think when you're brought up in a very strict religion, which is not accepting of a lot of things, you have to process internally. So I think I was practised at that. I think where I lacked maturity is in acknowledging or realising the impact of that on somebody else, right? Like I thought I could manage myself and everything would be okay on the outside. And I think possibly the lack of maturity meant I didn't welcome somebody into my thoughts who I was meant to be spending my life with and try and, and, you know, maybe try and work on it. By the time I actually verbalised it, I wanted it to be over, no discussion. Yeah, you'd make the choice. Yeah, Yeah, it's not great. You know, I I, I feel so differently about it now. So, yeah, I'd like to be in touch with my feelings more and earlier so that I'm not finding myself being dragged along behind it rather than sort of working with those emotions. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, or swimming against them. Even worse, you're right. Yeah, because mm. you knacker yourself. You knacker yourself and you become very, like, in survival mode, like quite self-focused. It's very hard mm. to be empathetic, you know, when you're exhausted from, you know, swimming against your own feelings rather than accepting mm. them and discussing them and doing the things you would expect to a sort of adult to manage. <laughs> a sort of adult, yeah. Uh, well, I'm never going to say I'm a total adult, to be fair. Um, it's always going to be kind of, kind of, sort of sometimes. But I think you get stunted. And I see this as well, I think, in friends that have come out in a difficult way or, you know, have had trauma or something, but you, you sort of get frozen at a particular time in your life. And even though you've, you're older, you're a little bit still in that mindset and um, mm-hmm. sometimes haven't progressed from there. And often something has to happen and it sort of shakes you up out of that frozen moment in time, you know. So what was your thing? Well, I guess smashing that relationship, you know, like in ending that relationship was a wake-up call. I wasn't expecting myself to end it. I was committed to it. I didn't expect, uh, you know, f- for me to do that and suddenly um, find yeah. myself in that situation. Yeah, that I didn't think I was... Um, that and that really made me go wait what you know who am I what is this what am I doing you know what is this life so yeah I think that was a that was a big wake-up call for me ah so then yes when you look back on your time in London Mm. what do you feel I feel like well I've mixed feelings about it because I had such a good time um in many ways but it feels like I didn't make the best use of that time and I didn't make the most of that time. You know when people say they have no regrets, I I understand the principle of that but I'm always full of regrets all the time. Mm. You know, I can regret my last meal. Um, What was it? (laughs) Oh, what was it? Um, A burger. There you go. See, that's full of regrets. (laughs) Probably should have had a salad. Well, it's kind of a salad. There's lettuce on it. It's tomatoes. You know what? And tomatoes and some onions. So, yeah, and beetroot. That's very Aussie Ups, burger. Ups. I know, I know, I know. But, I mean, they basically there are five vegetables in there that we've just yeah, rolled yeah. off the time. I, don't, so. I wouldn't beat myself up about that if I were I you. won't, I won't. I can't because I've got very little energy for the nutritional value that it serves me. But, <laughs> look, I, I, I regret not being single in London. That's stupid. Mm-hmm. You know, that's absolutely the place to be single when you're young. I regret not travelling more. I got very focused on Uh, work. I worked really hard because I I had a lot to prove, a good dose of imposter syndrome with no education. So I was like, I just have to work really hard. Like I have to prove myself and try and make a career. So I spent a lot of time working and probably not as much time as I would like enjoying life. But 
that follows you around. You know, that's not because I was in London. That's COVID yeah. helped me with that one <laughs> uh, more than anything. Um, that was good. You know, that shook me out of that, like, must work, must make a yeah. living. But I met really great people and I had this weird thing. Like I'm still friends with people that I was chatting to on gay.com. Um, this, the first meet, some of my closest friends are from there. My first job in London, I've still got friends. That second job, still friends. And that's one thing I like about the UK, which I find always a bit hard to explain, which is, you know, you joke about Londoners, you know, not being particularly warm and friendly or whatever. But I found that depth of friendship was deeper. Like you can have very friendly people here in um, Australia and it takes longer to actually, I think, break through and make friends. Mm -hmm. Whereas you could meet someone on a night out and, well, I did. And then that's it. They're still friends. If I go back to London now, I'd see them. It's crazy. And I don't know whether that's normal. I don't know whether that was because I wanted to maintain friendships and I didn't have any alternatives I think perhaps there is a bit of that I think if Mm -hmm. you had your friend circle already set maybe you can't be bothered I don't know but I love that I I love that those friendships have endured the years and that it's like having some history with someone that remembers Mm. oh do you remember when we were wearing woolly jumpers in bars and (laughs) man sorry that's stupid Uh. Woolly jumpers. Um, so then if you could go back in time mm. to that very first night that you were at the candy bar yep. with your brother and his girlfriend yep. and you were able to have a conversation with Naomi and be like, hey, I've got some advice for you. Listen yes. up. Other than take that fucking jumper off you. <laughs> what would you say? <laughs> Well, that wasn't on the agenda, but all right, I will put it on. Um, <laughs> sorry, you, sorry, you were very harsh in when I was channeling you. That wasn't me. <laughs> um, oh, well, uh, what would I tell her? I think I'd probably want her to slow down and that's, you know, that's advice I'd still tell myself now. I try to slow down, but slow down, not to rush into trying to find out what this next phase of your life is going to be and allow things to kind of be a bit more organic. I think I didn't know I would be okay. I didn't think I would be okay. So I was desperately trying to find a way to make it okay rather than just Mm. go, you'll be all right, you know. You'll work hard, you'll get a job and you'll be able to pay your own bills. You don't have to – there's just something about feeling a little bit like without a safety net that makes you feel very driven on how how is this going to be. I didn't feel lovable. Um, I didn't feel attractive as a woman. I didn't really know what that felt like. I'd spent many years being judged in a very sort of Jehovah's Mm -hmm. Witness male lens, which is, you know, probably fairly typical of that conservative religious mindset where you had to be small and ladylike and feminine and... um, Submissive. Submissive, yeah. And I was Mm -hmm. just everything I described, the opposite. And I was just Mm -hmm. like a bit of a blunt instrument. And, you know, it's good to be funny, but it was good to be funny if you're a bloke. I mean, no, (laughs) you don't need to be a funny woman. You just need Mm -hmm. to know, you know. So all of the things I felt strong in weren't great, weren't supporting my gender particularly in that environment. So when I came into understanding that I was a lesbian, I had no idea. Like I knew I wasn't particularly butch, so when I looked at women who were quite butch and I could see that that was 
one way. You know, I wasn't very feminine, so I was in that kind of probably, you know, that tomboyish zone. I wasn't confident with my sexuality or sexually confident. I wasn't, I was very confident to be a friend. I'd be a friend, definitely, but I didn't feel the confidence of like, oh, how do you take it to the next level or or mm-hmm. that I could, you know. But you did land it on your first try. You just have to put that out there. <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. Thanks. I needed that. <laughs> I did. Yeah, that's helped. That, that's helpful. It's just like, it's so, um, yeah, it just took a really long time to figure that out. And also, I didn't know what I liked in women either. So, if I just take it a bit more time, just taken it a bit slower, just hung out a little bit with different types of people, I think that would have been smart. And so that's probably what I would have told myself. Calm down, slow down. Do you have any memories from the candy bar or clubbing from your own queer scene that you want to share? Well, if you do, I would love to hear all about it. I am planning to build the biggest online record of people's memories and stories of queer clubbing, but I need your help. Go to lostspacespodcast.com and find this section, Share a Lost Space, to tell me all about what you got up to and where it was. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where I am quite happy to have a bit of a natter. My handle across all three is Lost Spaces Pod. Find out more about Naomi by following her on Instagram at Naomi Mura and Facebook, where it's at Naomi Mura Comedy. If you enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate if you subscribed on your podcast platform that you're using right now, left a review, or just told someone else who you think might be interested in giving it a wee listen to. My name is Kay Anderson, and you have been listening to Lost Spaces. Lost Spaces.